when I lived in Chicago, uh, there would be these people who you would see periodically, who I would see periodically. Most of them had nappy hair or dreadlocks. They were wearing kind of wild clothing. And they, if you were driving or walking down the street, you might see them go whizzing by you at an incredible rate in these bikes that looked like total junk, but somehow they could get from one side of the city to the other side of the city faster than anyone else. And they had this bag that they would have strapped around their shoulder, uh, one shoulder hanging around the back. And that, they actually now, the ba- those kind of bags are named after these people. Anybody know what they're called? Messengers. Yeah, they were messengers. And so if someone wanted to get a document from one side of town to the other side of town, the fastest way to do it is to give it to this crazy daredevil on a bike who would weave in and out of every taxi, hop on sidewalks, do whatever, and just fly to get to the other side of town to, bl- to deliver like a canister that in it would have this document that they would give at the front desk of one of these high rises. And so where there's people in suits and decked out, to, you know, whatever in their dress gear, you see these like wild looking people flying through the city as messengers. Now, picture this with me. If one of those messengers goes into the high-rise and uh, delivers the canister and then starts walking out and coming out running after him is the CEO of one of these huge corporations that's in this building and comes out and he says, hey, I was looking over this document. Hold up a second. I was looking over this document. I'm not quite sure I understand this line here. Can you help me interpret it? Messenger's going to turn around and be like, do I look like someone who can help you interpret that document, right? That's not the picture you get. So this word messenger is a very, very important word in the scripture. But we have to understand what it means to be a messenger. Let me give you another picture. There's this, there's this position in the U.S. government called the ambassador, And the ambassador is someone who is in a foreign country, who stays in that country, and who under the authority of the U.S. government represents the President of the United States and the will of the Congress as they interact with that country. They carry with them a great deal of authority. If someone in that government wants to know what the U.S. thinks about something, they can talk to that ambassador And that ambassador is not some messenger looking grubby and driving through the city. That ambassador is a representative of the U.S. government. The highest form of ambassador, the the highest seat of an ambassador sort of uh, role in the U.S. government is what? Secretary of State. So when the Secretary of State shows up in another country, they are directly representing the will of the president with authority. So if someone in that foreign government wants to know, hey, I'm seeing this document that came from the president, what's this line mean? Can they trust that the Secretary of State is the one who can tell them what's that, what that's all about? Yes, very different than the messenger who just walked out of the building. And so both of those are messengers. But what it means to be a messenger with authority and a delivery boy are two different things. Paul, in this section of Galatians, is making an argument about himself. He's making an argument that might seem self-promoting. It might seem like Paul's trying to say, like, 
Look at me. This is who I am sticking his chest out. There's none of that going on, I can assure you. But Paul is fighting tooth and nail for them to recognize him with the authority that was granted to him and ordained by God. So much so that he starts off the entire book saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, Paul starts almost all of his letters that way by saying, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Why is he so hung up on making sure everyone knows that he's an apostle? Get over it already. Here's the thing. When you go to get a surgery done, isn't it some comfort to you to see MD at the end of that person's name? And, it's, and then if like on top of it, there might be like DO or PhD or whatever, you know, all these other things. And the more initials that are stacked on the, on the back of that thing, that's not just about how many figures you make. That's also to instill confidence in people that there's someone who's an authority in that field. When it comes to the work of the gospel, it doesn't matter if you have a PhD behind your name. That's not the thing that should instill a sense of confidence in us in who is the authority when it comes to the work of God. What it is that should give us a great deal of confidence is when God's hand of anointing is clearly seen on someone. And all the way back from the early, early, early days of God calling people out, there was this thing of anointing where a prophet would come to a king and would pour oil over his head. And then that translates into the New Testament with this other picture of the Holy Spirit coming and pouring over an individual and anointing them for a calling that God had for them in ministry. And Paul says in this text that was read to us this morning that I was set apart since birth for the work of God. Set apart means holy, sanctified, set apart. It means God took me and he put me over here and said, I have a task specifically for you, an ordained task for you. Funny thing is, it took a long time for Paul to recognize that he had that call on his life. There was something in him that knew it, which is why he ran around trying to do good things, even persecuting the church and killing Christians because he thought he was doing it for God. And sometimes there's this call and anointing on us, and we work it out in all these weird ways, you know? But it takes a while for us to come to terms with what it is that God has ordained each of us to do. When it comes to important information, it's important that we find the person of authority to communicate that information to us. If it's whatever information, I mean, if we're talking about uh, the statistics of so-and-so on a certain sports team, I don't really care if you're the authority on that or not in our discussion. It doesn't matter to me much. But if I have a legal issue that's going to, you know, really affect my life, I want to talk to a lawyer. If I'm getting my taxes done, I want a CPA. You know, I don't just want someone who says, oh, yeah, I got that, you know. 
I don't know that I can really trust you on that one, you know? And what Paul is saying is that the churches in Galatia right now are hearing from all sorts of people teaching about the gospel. And of course, the intention of this book is to set the record straight of what it means to live a gospel-centered, free life in Christ. And in order to do that, he has to say, this is what the gospel is. And in order for him to say, I understand the gospel more than anyone else, he has to say, I am the authority in this situation. That's why you have to listen to me. It's an awkward thing when you have to prove your own authority. Isn't it? Some say that if you have to establish your own authority, that you're already in a losing battle, you know, because your authority should be self-evident. Any one of us who is a parent knows that that's only so true, you know, because there are moments when you have to say, do you remember who is in authority here? I'm your dad. I'm your mom. You know what that means? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is good. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. I am here not to make your life miserable, but I am a God-ordained authority in your life. You must submit to me. Those are the orders of God in your life. And if you choose to reject those orders, you're choosing to reject God to some degree. At least God's will for you in this circumstance. And what Paul is saying is that he's God's messenger. He is an apostle. The word apostle means sent. That's what it means. Sent one. The one who is sent. Christians. Which one of us as Christians are sent? Raise your hand if you are sent by God. Get it? Oh, I see some hands not raised. Liars. You are sent by God. I should have you turn to your neighbor and say, you are sent by God. Every one of us is sent by God. You are sent. You are sent. So in one sense, you could say everyone is apostolos. Everyone is sent. However, this word apostle, when referred to a specific anointing, calling, gifting, is something different. All of us, at minimum, are messengers who are carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. All of us should have a bag slung around our back and our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we should be running to other people because blessed on the mountain are those who bring, blessed on the hills are the feet of those who bring good news. And all of us are called to bring the good news of the gospel. So all of us are sent by God. If you didn't know you were sent, you are sent. You know, picture that. That is the breath of God on you. You are sent. You are a missionary for God. However, the word apostle carries with it a different connotation beyond being sent to just teach the word. The the picture of apostle is clearly one that is much more like an ambassador. Like Paul is saying, I am representing God right now like a secretary of state would represent the president. I have been called out by Jesus Christ to represent his will for this church, these churches in Galatia. I am telling you right now, you have to listen to me. I've been given authority. And then he says, he goes on to say, and that authority was not given to me by men. It was given to me by God. 
man, you got to know that God has called you if you're going to say that to someone, right? You're going to say, you're going to start off your letter to someone. Hi, this is Paul, the authority over you in the church. No one put me in that position other than God. And he did put me in that position, so you have to listen to me. Wow, that takes a ton of courage, doesn't it? The fact of the matter is, is this is scripture. This is not arrogance. This isn't self-promotion. This is him submitting to and obeying the will of God because he knows that if God called him to that task and he shies away from it because these people are going to think he's weird if he steps into that authority or whatever, that what's going to happen to these people? He knows what's going to happen to them. He sees it happening to them right now. Paul doesn't go around all the time making his main message about what authority he walks in. There's two times in the scripture where Paul makes a real big argument about his role in the church. One is here in Galatians, and the other is just a couple chapters right before. If you, if you back up right before the beginning of Galatians in our American Bible, in the English Bible, right before it is the end of what book? Second Corinthians, someone draws swords. That was good. That was quick. Second Corinthians. And in, the, in Second Corinthians, in both books of Corinthians, Paul spends so much of his time proving his apostolic authority. Because in that church, they had the exact opposite problem that they're having in the churches of Galatia. In the churches of Galatia, they had the Judaizers, they had the, the group of the circumcision coming and teaching them legalistically a false doctrine. But in the Corinthian church, they had the Gnostics, the spiritualists, teaching them this other false doctrine. And in both situations, in order to address the false doctrine, he has to establish his authority and say why they have to listen to him instead of all the other teachers who they're listening to. Okay? Make sense? All right. When I worked at Vanguard, and some of you have heard me talk about this guy before, this is a great moment. When I worked at Vanguard, I, I, I used to go to the, to the cafeteria to eat lunch, and there was this guy who was behind the counter who was just awesome. And uh, he was always cheerful. He was always singing. He was this, like, big, burly guy. He had a missing leg that had, like, he just had, like, a steel rod for leg. And he, but he, he was a big dude, and he didn't have many teeth. And what teeth he did have were, like, gold or like he had a screw coming down out of one. It was a wild looking man, just a wild looking guy. And, and he was always like singing and cheerful as he's like making omelets or doing whatever he's doing behind the counter. And one day he looks at me and he's like, you shine, brother. He's like, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? And I was like, yes, I am. As I was in line with a whole bunch of other people, you know, yet. Yes, I am. And he's like, nice to meet you. My name's Deacon Rick. And I was like, Deacon? He's like, yeah, I'm a deacon. And I'm like, okay, okay. I was wondering if that was your first name or if that was your title. You know, and his, his title was Deacon Rick because he was a deacon in his church. And he wasn't going around saying he was Deacon Rick because he wanted everyone to be like, be impressed with him that he was a deacon. It was because he knew his role in the body of Christ and God had ordained him as that. So in the body of Christ, this is my role and I no longer live. I'm only a part of the body of Christ, so I might as well tell you what part of the body I am. I'm Deacon Rick, okay? Nice to meet you. I'm Thumb Tim, you know? It's my role in the body, you know? And like, so he... 
this is the thing, is that he was not ashamed of his calling. And it wasn't self-promotion. It was a joyful embrace of the anointing that God had put on his life and that his church had recognized and called out in him. In this situation in the church of, churches of Galatia, what was happening is there was dispute about Paul's authority. And because of that, these others were able to slide in a false gospel. And as long as they said it impressively, as long as they said it convincingly, as long as it was logical, as long as it was what they wanted to hear, then they were able to slide in. And what Paul's saying is, he's like, I'm going to have to dress you down in this one. And I'm going to tell you that you're living the wrong way because you're believing the wrong gospel. But I'm going to tell you that you're listening to the wrong people. You're listening to the wrong teaching. And that's where he starts. And this is actually the beginning of Paul's letter. The first two weeks, first is that kind of greeting where he sets up what's going to happen. The second is where he's shot across the bow to let him know what the problem is. But now he starts to walk it out. And the very first thing he does is he begins to prove his authority in this situation so that they would listen to him. Okay? And um, here's the issue is that when it comes to teaching... Um, there's, there's two primary struggles that can happen with teaching in the church on a, on a regular basis. One is there can be consumeristic teaching. And the scriptures talk about this, giving what the itching ears want to hear. So that I walk away from church always feeling like, good, I needed to hear that. It not, it's not necessarily transformative. It doesn't mean that my life ever changes. It's just that I walk out hearing something that I wanted to hear. And you can build a big following in religion when you teach what people want to hear on a consistent basis. The other is moralistic teaching. And moralistic teaching is bite-sized teaching. And what that means is, is it means, again, it doesn't cause me to necessarily get on my knees before the Lord to receive the truth of the entirety of the gospel and to give my life fully to Christ and to stay dependent on Him. The teaching doesn't necessarily lead toward Christ and the exalting of Him and my dependence on Him. What instead it teaches is it gives me a bite-sized chunk on how I could live better. And when I could live a little bit better, then I can feel a little bit better which is another form of giving people what they want to hear because it feeds self-righteousness. And religion works on therapy and self-righteousness, making us feel okay with where we are and giving us a little bite-sized chunk so that we can feel a little bit better. But none of that is gospel because gospel is I'm not okay where I am and I can't change who I am. I need Jesus. That's gospel. That's gospel. There is such a subtle temptation from the enemy in the voice of every teacher or preacher of the gospel, including my own all the time, to teach this text in a way that puts it on us to just do something a little bit better. Or to say over here the thing that will make us just feel a little bit better. But in reality, what gospel teaching is, is to reveal to us the truth about who we are, the truth about who God is. Yes, to tell us that he loves us with unending grace, but yes, to say that we only get that grace when we are also aware of how broken and messed up we actually are. 
That's gospel, gospel preaching. Paul, recognizing that, has to establish again that he has a, a call for divine leadership, that he has been divinely called to leadership, that he is not here to just teach things they want to hear, but he's called to lead them and have authority over them. Apostles, this word apostle is a really interesting word because uh, you see it all across the pages of the New Testament. And it's important if we're going to understand why Paul's trying to prove his apostolic calling that we actually understand what an apostolic calling really is. What is it about? And I want you to look at two texts real quick with me uh, to help you understand. First, um, you can pull out your phone or your Bible or whatever uh, you use. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 27. Starting in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. How many bodies are there? There's one body, okay? So we here, every person in this room who's given their life to Christ is part of the body of Christ. If you have given your life over to Him and you live in Him, then you are part of the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's why in recent years we've been talking a, a fair amount about membership and this whole picture of like when you enter into the covenant with Christ and the covenant with one another, we become members of this, this body, right? And so now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it and God has appointed in the church... First, what? Apostles. Second, what? Prophets. Third, what? Okay. And, and then he stops using numbers. Okay. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? The assumption is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The assumption, of course, is no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says, and I'll show you a more excellent way. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and says, the big deal is how we love one another. And these gifts are what starts to be revealed when we're truly loving one another. We start to see how each person is gifted to love most effectively. Flip with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking to the uh, Gentiles right now, saying you're not outside the body of Christ. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So first he said you're part of the body. Now he's saying you're citizens of the kingdom and you're members of the family. Okay? And then it says in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the structure of the body, the structure of the, the nation, the structure of the family being joined together grows into a holy temple. Now another picture of the body of Christ in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
One more text, and it's just in uh, two chapters more in Ephesians chapter 4, after he says there's one body, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and all through all. Verse 7, grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And it says he scattered his gift among, gifts among men. And then down in verse 11, he says this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's all for Christ. And he's saying, as I'm building up the body of Christ, as I'm building up the temple, as I'm building up the temple that contains the presence of Christ, as we're building up the body of Christ, as we're building up the kingdom of Christ, as we're building up the family of God, in all of that, he gives these lists of the way he orders the giftings. And the very first one in all of those is what? Apostle. Yeah. And so the idea that Paul's saying here is I'm not called to be a messenger boy who's taking Peter's message and delivering it to you. What I'm called to be is that the cornerstone is Christ and on top of the cornerstone are these building blocks and we all are part of the, the, the living stones that are being built into the temple. But the first block to be laid is the apostolic block. And he's like, and I'm called to be an apostle. You have to listen to me on this one. You have to listen to me on this one. This thing of authority uh, is a really tricky thing. And when you look at the apostolic, it's really interesting because we all know there's the 12 apostles, right, in the scripture. But then Paul is not part of the 12, clearly understood to be an apostle. Then Paul talks about Barnabas as if he's an apostle. And then he talks about Apollos as if he's an apostle. And then he talks about Junia as if, and so there's all this, there's this continual growing thing. And then he talks in the scripture about the functionality of the body of Christ needs the apostolic and the prophetic. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, what this means in our day and age, there's a couple things that are really important for us. But I, before I get there, there's a, there's a differentiation when it comes to apostolic authority. Different apostles are called to different things. So uh, Peter, he says in this text, was called to the, to the circumcision. He was called to the Jews. And he says, but I was called to the uncircumcised. So when they were ambassadors, there's the ambassador to uh, Pakistan, and there's the U.S. ambassador to Argentina. They have different fields and different jobs. And what it's saying is in the body of Christ that there are apostles given to different situations. There are also prophets, likewise, who we see all across the Old Testament and then in the New Testament who were to speak to these people groups and to these people groups. And then you have the, sh the, and then you have the evangelists who go and harvest. And then you have the, the, the shepherds and the teachers who walk with the people and instruct them and walk with them. And this is the picture of leadership in the body of Christ. Paul is saying to you guys, Galatia, the churches in Galatia, I am called to you. So I'm like your dad in this thing, essentially. Like, there's only one head, there's Christ, but he chose to call me as the ambassador to come and build the churches in this area and represent. Man, that is a powerful claim that he's speaking there. He gives three proofs of this. Here's the three proofs in this text. First, as he said, I didn't receive my message from people. I received it directly from God. 
Now, this is interesting because when did Paul first hear the gospel? Uh, I don't know. Good question. He certainly heard it when Stephen was about to be stoned. He was standing right there when Stephen was stoned, and he heard the full thing. You can read it in the text, what, what, what he said. So, and he was persecuting the church because he thought it was heresy, so he was probably pretty familiar with the doctrine. So he knew all the facts, but the funny thing is, is when you have facts in your head, unless you want to actually know what they mean, you never do. You ever notice that? When there's a debate, one person forms their argument, the other person forms their argument, their only objective is to prove that they're right. Not to actually hear what's right about the other person. There's a big difference between having a discussion where we're discerning something together versus where we're arguing about who's actually right. Paul spent the first part of his life knowing all about Christianity and believing that it was heresy. And then there was a moment. And what was the moment? Yep. Heavens literally open up and the voice of God speaks to him. I mean, this is as big of an experience as you can possibly have. His physical eyes are blinded and his spiritual eye comes awake. And in that moment, God speaks to him and he says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? And he says, Jesus. Hello, this is a living Jesus who is now calling me. And all of a sudden, the one piece of information that Paul says is central to all other pieces of information in the gospel and in the faith, this one little piece of information, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead and he's speaking to me right now. And when I realize that he is alive and he's the son of God, then all the other pieces start to make sense. And goodness gracious, I've been raging against this false doctrine, but it's because I missed the core truth that he's alive. That he's alive and he's speaking to me. And then what Paul says is, and after that, I spent three years out in Arabia. Here's the cool thing. You want some cool stuff? This is where Moses heard from God. This is where Elijah heard from God. All the big dogs in the Old Testament, the two who show up in the, trans, in the, in the transfiguration with Jesus, you know. He goes to the same place where they heard from the Lord. And he gets away and God takes his experience takes all that information he had, takes the scriptures, and he begins to mold in Paul an understanding of the church, an understanding of God's will, an understanding of the gospel. And it says after three years, he goes and sees Peter in Jerusalem. And when he goes up to see Peter, he says he hung out with him for 14 days, and they checked in, and Peter was like, you're good to go. Go get it, you know? And he said, good. After 14 more years, having no contact with any other apostles, after building churches all over the place and setting it up, he says, then I wanted to check in and make sure that I wasn't laboring in vain. That's what he said. Like, that was like a lot of work, 17 years of hitting it hard. And then he's like, wait a minute, I'm not messing up, am I? And so he goes back to the council of Jerusalem, which you can read about in Acts chapter 15, where he goes back to the council is at this point, there are these apostles and prophets who are overseeing the global church at that point. And it's the headquarters is Jerusalem. And the one who's standing up and speaking, there's two people who are kind of standing up and speaking in that environment. One is James, who is called an apostle, but it is not Peter James and John James. That James we think is already dead at this point, already martyred. It's another James. You know what James that is? Yeah, Jesus' brother. And he is apostolic over the council in Jerusalem. And so Paul goes back and meets with James and with Peter and spends time picking their brains. 
And he said, and they never taught me one thing. That's what he says. They added nothing to my message. And that's because what he's trying to say is, you might even think they know more than me and want to go and listen to them. They're not called to you. They didn't even have anything to speak to me after 17 years of me going and doing my stuff. They didn't teach me anything new. I was called by God, not taught by people. And God instructed me. And you need to listen. And that's his whole thing. That's his whole shtick. And so, number one, he heard it from God. Number two, it was affirmed by all the other leaders. And then number three, he says, and we didn't read this in our text, and you'll hear about this next week, but it's the third proof as to why they should trust him as an apostle. He says, because even when Peter got off track, I put him back in line in front of everyone. (laughs) Yikes. Scary stuff in the church sometimes, you know? And he does, and next week you'll hear about that, you know, about the story of what uh, Paul does with Peter. Now, here's the point. At the end of all of that, is, uh, there's, there's three applications that I want you to hear as we bring this thing to a close. First application is that every person, when God, is, he distributes his gifts among his people. And each person has an anointing, each person has a calling, each person has a gift. And we are told in uh, Romans 11 that the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. We cannot revoke. The core gifts that we were given, we can't revoke. But he does tell us to seek to, to grow in proficiency in the higher gifts. But each one of us is given gifts and calling. Which means if you don't know yet how God's calling you, then you got to be seeking God's face. Because it is your destiny. I mean, this is what you were made for. So if you don't know yet, man... It'd be nice if everyone had like a perfect spiritual father, and I don't mean earthly father, but like some like mentor who would come around and tell you everything. That would be awesome, wouldn't it, if we all had that? We do. His name's God. God the Father. And he will instruct us if we seek him. You want wisdom? He'll give it to you. He promises. Want knowledge of who you are? He'll give it to you. But you've got to seek him. Say, God, what's my role? I want to serve in the body of Christ. I want to love most effectively. Not because I'm trying to prove something to you, but I'm a functioning part of the body of Christ. And each part of the body, it has to move and operate. If it doesn't, if it just sits there and does nothing, it just dies off. I want to be alive and awake, moving. God, show me. So each one of us has to be seeking God's will. Are you hearing from the Lord about your calling? And I want to challenge you that if you're not, don't feel guilty, don't feel heavy, don't feel scared, don't feel bad. Seek. Seek. He'll reveal it. Honestly, seek. And he'll reveal it. And in the me- and seeking means praying and asking. It means reading the word. But it means getting in there and loving and serving. Each one of us is a functioning part of the body of Christ. If you're not serving in some way, plug in. Get moving. You'll figure it out, you know. All right. Second thing. Each one of us has to know the authority that, we, that our faith stands in, that our gospel stands in. Okay. Apostles and prophets are always important. It's, it's always an important thing. But back then, they didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the apostolic and the prophetic. That's it. Now, we have the apostolic and the prophetic from back then speaking to us as eyewitnesses. So the scriptures are the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And so it's important to receive the leadership that God gives to help us interpret the scriptures into our day and age. But we also have this. And so the, the authority for us is, is in the scriptures. Now, I, I want to make one quick note about this. When it comes to why we have faith 
right now, why we have Christian faith. There's a, a few, and I'm just going to rifle through this. This is a whole series, but I'm going to rifle through this just to give one bite-sized chunk. We believe because Christ is God. We believe Christ is God is because he, sa- because he said he was God and because then he rose from the dead. We believe that he actually rose from the dead because the people who saw him rise from the dead were willing to give up their lives in proof that they saw him rise from the dead. And the reason they were willing to do that was because they're like, I'm going to a better place because the guy who died rose from the dead and told me I have life in him. So go ahead and take my body, but there's no way I'm giving up my faith in that one who conquers death because we're all going to die sometime, so I might as well go now with the one who can conquer death. That's why we believe that Jesus resurrected and the resurrection affirms his claim that he's God and his claim affirms that he is God. The scriptures reveal that. We believe in the scriptures because the external evidence about it that we could get into sometime, also the internal evidence, and we also believe because of the testimony of what it's done in our life. So when we take the testimony of what's happened in transforming of our lives, the miraculous things that we've seen, when it comes to the, the, uh, uh, the validity of the scriptures, when it comes to the resurrection of Christ and those who died to prove that he had resurrected, all of those things create just this wonderful, beautiful authority by which we say we know who God is. He's revealed to us. That's application number two. If you don't know the authority, then you have to dig into it. And application number three is this. Human authority in the word or in the church is still vital. Absolutely vital. And if I want freedom in the gospel, if I want to be able to stand in gospel truth and live the abundant life, then I need those in my life who will help continue to lead me and lead us into a place that we are standing in Christ and in his gospel and not being led astray. Which means there's this weird thing that happens that even though we are human and that humans are authority, we recognize that the way God set up the church is in our brokenness. And as sinners, we are to look and to recognize God's anointing and to put in place leaders who know the scripture, who submit to the scripture, and who will teach us the scripture and help us stay connected in that. And then we are to pray for them enormously that they can help protect that environment of the gospel. What's my point of application? Is that we have a search committee who's looking for someone to come on staff here as a pastor. I don't care if they have initials behind their name. Honestly, I don't care what their name is, what their background is, how much their experience is. I care about one thing that they are called by God for this place. And that when we look at them, we can look at their lives and their knowledge of Scripture and we can say, yep, it's on them, you know? And God's called them. And they know it and we know it. And our role in that is to be on our knees and on our faces praying for that and praying for them that we walk in the freedom of the gospel, stay rooted in the gospel, We are the body of Christ, and you are individually members of it. And the church is built on the foundation of those leaders with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Tuesday night, we have a prayer meeting. After this message, I expect every one of you to be there. (laughs) Tuesday night, we have a prayer meeting. We got to pray. We got to pray. It's built on prayer. 
We need the gospel. We need God's calling on our individual lives. We need the authority of the scriptures. And then we need to continue to ask God to call out, anoint leaders to lead us. And in that prayer, we will also pray that God will continue to rise up, raise up all sorts of leadership for here and for beyond. Right? That was like, yes. Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, we want you. We want your kingdom. We want your way. We want your life. We want your gospel that sets us free. We want your structure that keeps us contained within that gospel because we are, our hearts, even after the moment of redemption where we're transformed and your spirit comes in, we still have that thing that happens where uh, we see it, even with those who walked with Paul where he says, Demas loved this world and got led astray. You know, it happens. We've seen it happen. And God, we don't want to be taken away. We don't want to be led astray. God, we, we want to stay locked in and we want to grow in the authority of Scripture and in the authority, the presence of your Spirit leading and guiding us. So we just ask as a congregation, God, we open our arms up, open our hearts up, and say, would you lead us, Jesus? Would you please continue to be the leader, the head of your church, the cornerstone, the foundation of your church? Would you lead in every possible way? Would you call each of us into the place that you have for us? And would you call the appropriate leaders as deacons, as elders, as pastors, as ministers? God, we just ask for all of that kind of leadership to help equip the body for the works that it was called to do, that we would be a fully functioning body, that we would be an interconnected family, that we would be a thriving nation as the kingdom of God, and that your spirit would be leading and your word would be grounding us, and that, Jesus, you would be enthroned on our hearts and in our congregation. We want you to lead, Jesus. We want you to lead over the Pottstown area. We want you to lead over southeastern Pennsylvania. We want you to lead, God, in your kingdom, and we want to submit to your leadership. And as hard as it is for us to submit, God, because we just struggle with that and have ever since the garden, we ask, Jesus, that you would raise up your authority over us and that we would be drawn deeply into submission and obedience, because in you is life. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.